Broad and I are two of John's biggest fans, and so we just want you to experience what we experience when we meet together on, on Tuesday mornings. And I think that you're starting to do that, because I've heard from lots of you uh, how helpful this series has been so far. So God, thank you that we are together your people. And thank you that, that John is one of our people. Thank you for his and Erica's commitment to our community. Thank you for all of who he is, not just a pastor, uh, but a dad and a husband and a friend and a child of yours, God. Thank you for the way that um, you love for us to learn from each other and to learn in community. And so we tell you, God, we're listening. We're listening to you. We're listening to what John has to say to us today. Would you use what John says and what we say to one another to make us more into the community you call us to be? We commit ourselves to you and this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you, Kim, for the introduction and the prayers. Um, this has been a, a year for me of, of really finding my voice and learning to be kind of more at home in who I am. And, uh, and my time with Rod and Kim this year uh, has been a really key part of that. So thank you guys both. Um, I'm going to start today with, uh, with a story. It's a story about a famous, wealthy New York hotel and real estate tycoon. Her name is Leona Helmsley. Um... <laughs> uh, she, uh, there's a story told of her after she passed by one of her lawyers who was meeting with her in one of her, the suites in one of her hotels, many hotels, uh, and they were meeting because she was facing tax evasion charges despite being a billionaire. She thought taxes were for other people to pay. Um, so she uh, is having tea with this lawyer and a servant or server comes to the room to bring them tea, you know, cups and saucers. And when he puts it on the table, she sees that there's a drop of water or tea on the saucer. And uh, she is not happy. So she smashes the, the teacup and saucer on the floor and then demands that this servant get down on his hands and knees, clean it all up, and then beg for his job back if he wants it. Um, these are some of the reasons why she was dubbed the Queen of Mean later. Um, she, uh, in her will, she left $12 million to her dog in a trust uh, and cut two of her four grandkids out of the will completely. Um, so, imagine what it would feel like to be that server in that thing on your hands and knees, faced with really the choice to, um, to grovel uh, or to lose your livelihood, maybe the means of, by which you support your family and feed for your kids. Um, so clearly, Leona Hemsley believed this servant was beneath her, of less value, simply there to service her needs in precisely the manner that she was accustomed to. She demanded that she be treated with the dignity of a queen, and in doing so, she trampled upon the dignity of many others. Perhaps she even got pleasure from her ability to use her power in this way. Stories like this uh, make me a little sick to my stomach, honestly, uh, and cause a sort of righteous anger to rise up in me. Uh, I have a great deal of trouble respecting someone who would use their privilege in that sort of way. And I'm, I'm not sure that I believe God or anyone else requires that I respect someone who behaves like this. Yet, the idea of dignity that we're talking about today, 
the dignity given to every person, every human being made in his image. It does not allow me or anyone to dismiss the personhood of Leona Helmsley or any other famous wealthy New York hotel tycoons for that matter. It does not condone any of the dehumanizing attitudes that we see in society right now. They're everywhere, especially I think of conservatives mocking liberals as bleeding heart snowflakes. I think of uh, liberals demonizing conservatives as deplorables and ignorant. In fact, dignity does not allow for us to reduce anyone to a category or a label. Pastor Greg Thompson rightly observes that ours is an age in which dignity is only selectively applied. I think it's universally valued, but only selectively applied. I think he's, he's right. So what exactly is dignity? Dignity is the inherent worth or value that a person has through nothing that they have done or accomplished. As we read in scripture, including in Psalm 8 that we'll pray together later, God has created us in his likeness and has crowned us with glory and honor. So believing in the dignity of every human being is, only, is the only viable foundation for following Jesus' extremely difficult command to love our enemies. I believe the idea of, uh, and the reality of human dignity are also absolutely central to what it means to be human. And it's at the core of what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. And I think you might believe that too, even if you don't realize it yet. So with that as an introduction, uh, allow me to get a little more personal. And I'll start by sharing a little about my time with our senior high youth on Thursday night. We were talking about dignity and faith and the way they connect. And uh, I heard them share about some of the ways they've seen or experienced people their age being treated poorly. Times when people were made to feel less than, uh, whether that was through exclusion or criticism uh, or outright bullying. They were also able to beautifully articulate aspects of God's character that allowed them to feel more confident in who they were. They spoke of God's unconditional love and of the belief that God would like them even if they did something that would cause others to reject them. They spoke of God's goodness reliability and care. Uh, it was humbling and I, and I resonated with much of what they were sharing because as a teenager myself, I was also deeply aware of the indignities being suffered by myself and my peers, especially at school. Uh, I also believed deeply in the reality of a good and loving God. I just didn't clue into the fact that there was any connection between these two realities. I went through my entire high school experience not believing that the God I worshipped on Sunday had anything to offer me for the struggles that I faced at school or home or all the other days of the week. To me, God seemed interested in more religious things. Uh, years ago, our small group here at CAP uh, took turns sharing our life stories. And to help us frame them, we broke our lives into chapters. I think it was a Mike Nichols idea. Uh, and so we broke them into chapters as if we were writing an autobiography and giving headings. So I think if I were to share my story now of that, of that time, I would title the high school year's chapter as The Struggle for Dignity. But back, back then, I, I called it Flying Under the Radar. As I basically spent those years trying not to draw too much attention, positive or negative, I was desperate to avoid feeling exposed 
and I wanted to limit the opportunities for others to label me or judge me or do anything that would diminish my sense of worth. I was also conscious of a desire to protect the dignity of others, especially the cast of characters that occupied the table in the back corner of the cafeteria. Maybe you had one of these tables uh, in the cafeteria of your high school. Um, there was, at that table, there was Smoods, Tang, High Socks, and the Bala Brothers, a pair of identical twins from Hungary who said all of about five words in the five years that I knew them. Each of these guys had something, either physically or socially, that made them less than in the eyes of their peers. One was my cousin, another I had known since we were little kids, and the others were just plain interesting to me and unique. I did not find it hard to value them. After all, their table was the safest, most inclusive place in the school. But that didn't mean that I sat with them every day. I mostly just popped in for two minutes here, five minutes there, before returning back to my more normal friends. I was certainly no dignity-avenging hero, maybe in my head, but not in reality. Sadly, I was too aware that sitting with them for too long would draw too much attention and, and ruin my whole flying-under-the-radar strategy. As I said, I was pretty de determined to avoid feeling exposed and judged, and my sense of my own dignity was, was pretty fragile. I had a loving family and a few really good friends. I was one of the lucky ones, actually. But adolescence is hard. There were, of course, the unavoidable indignities of puberty. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, there was the constant comparison to peers and everything from grades to athletic ability to attention from girls. The girls one was a bit of a lost cause for me. They didn't seem to notice me much, and I was genuinely terrified of them. So, uh, I was constantly questioning uh, at that time whether I was enough, whether I was cool enough, smart enough, masculine enough, and I also lived with a sense of being less than as the only one of my West Vancouver friends who lived in a basement suite or hand-me-down clothes sometimes, couldn't afford to ski, and went to church. I was and I'm still thankful for the ways that those realities shaped me and formed me, but there were definitely some moments where it was hard. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't share any of this in any way to request sympathy. In fact, quite the opposite. I was aware then, I'm convinced, that I was incredibly blessed. What I wish I had known then, though, is that my struggle for, for dignity was not a struggle that I had to go through alone. That not only did God care, but that God is, in fact, all about dignity. It wasn't until my university years that the dots began to connect between my struggle for dignity and my faith in Christ. Uh, Rick Watts from Regent College, a crazy Australian, came and spoke at my church for a weekend, and he blew my mind as he talked about the dignity bestowed upon us as those made in the image of God. I was inspired by the way he told stories from the Gospels about Jesus and the way he invited us to be truly human. I realized that following Jesus wasn't about being religious or having the right answers when my friends asked why I went to church. Following Jesus was about being truly human, living life the way I was created to live it, embracing the glory and honor that God had crowned me with and honoring that God-given dignity in others. I believe that's a life that is more about thriving and less about surviving. But if any of that sounds too complicated, I apologize. I like complicating things. But let me try another way, and you've probably heard this one before. 
Following Jesus is about love. It's about loving God and loving others. Because what is love if it's not enjoying and giving and restoring dignity? Uh, I love the line that my old pastor used to quote. He said, in every human encounter, we either give life or we take it away. I think I might rewrite that now as, in every human encounter, we either give dignity or we take it away. I want to take some time now to explore what it looks like to treat someone with dignity. During our time to interact later, uh, I'd love us to think about personal, personal examples or experiences of times when we've had our dignity threatened or, or even honored, as well as experiences, um, just any experiences of either of those, actually. I think we're all aware of the many indignities being suffered, not just in our lives, but in the world these days, uh, whether in war-torn countries half a world away or in the streets and homes of our own city. Much of it is hard for us to even fathom, and it's difficult to know how to respond. Uh, this week I came across the work of uh, Dr. Donna Hicks. She teaches at Harvard and other places in all across the world, in fact, and she speaks largely about dignity. She spent years as a conflict resolution specialist, working in uh, places like Northern Ireland and Israel and Cambodia, trying to broker peace amongst uh, groups in conflict. Um, through this work, she came face to face with those who had suffered and, and sometimes perpetrated incredible indignities in the form of physical and psychological violence. She writes that in her meetings, uh, attempting to broker peace, there were always two conversations going on. There was the spoken one, out in the open that was about borders and dividing up resources and restitution, those sorts of things. But there was also an unspoken conversation which she identified as a conversation about dignity violation. The people in these meetings were carrying deep wounds from having their dignity assaulted and the wounds were making them react emotionally and making it difficult to have productive talks and to make any progress towards peace. She recognized uh, in her travels that the desire for dignity is a universal human desire. And she came to believe that the antidote to indignity that suffered is simply dignity. So out of that belief, she researched and developed a dignity model that allows those in conflict to find common ground and begin a process of healing. She, I, she identified and has written in a book uh, something she calls the 10 elements of dignity. Ways that we experience our dignity being honored by others. Uh, I only have time to list them for you now, but I, I hope to post a fuller description maybe on the website this week. So here they are, the 10 elements of dignity, which I see as 10 excellent ways to love and give life to others. They are acceptance, recognition, acknowledgement, inclusion, safety, fairness, independence, understanding, benefit of the doubt, and accountability. I imagine that each of us will have one or two of these words that maybe jump out at us or feel like they're really important for us to experience, maybe a bit like a love language. I think these things are all positive answers to questions that we ask, like, do you see me? Do I matter to you? Am I wanted? Can I trust you? Or do you really care to know me? In my own reflections, I can also see a connection between some of these and the core fears that we talked about last week. I wonder if perhaps our dignity is most threatened at the places where our deepest fears reside. So as we approach our time to reflect and interact with one another, 
I just have two more things I, I wanted to offer. There are really two types of dignity uh, that I believe we can offer to one another and that are central to our life with God and with others. And I think they capture a number of Dr. Hicks's 10 elements of dignity as well. For both of these, I'm somewhat indebted to Barbara Much, who has spoken at CAP in the past and used to teach at Cary uh, Theological College in spiritual formation. Um, she really embodied these concepts for me and planted them in my heart and mind. So the first one of these is simple, uh, but profound. And I, and I think it actually has the potential to transform the most important relationships in your life and my life. It is the dignity of attention. To attend to someone, to truly pay attention, requires that we stop, that we adjust our posture, incline our ear, and look someone in the eye. When we offer someone the dignity of attention, without saying a word, we are giving positive answers to all of those important dignity questions. Do you see me? Do I matter to you? Am I wanted? Can I trust you? Do you care to really know me? What would our friendships, marriages, relationships with our coworkers, our kids, our parents look like if we offered one another the dignity of attention on a regular basis, even three minutes a day? I read an article that said the most important time with our kids is the three minutes when they wake up, the three minutes when they get home from school, and the three minutes before bed. So that's nine minutes a day. Maybe start with three. Um, but that would be great. Our attentive, engaged presence may be the most valuable resource that we have to offer these days. So use it wisely. Uh, it happens to work really awesome with God as well. Especially if you can first imagine God offering you the dignity of his attention. And start by resting in that. So the second type of dignity that I wanted to highlight is the dignity of consent. Consent is a word that's being uh, heard more regularly in our culture these days, especially in the wake of the Me Too movement. Uh, as the number of stories of especially women being harassed and violated has grown, so has the recognition of the importance of teaching and of honoring consent. The youth tell me uh, it's making its way into their sex education classes in a prominent way, um, but of course the dignity of consent is about much more than sex, vital as it is there. Consent is simply about our ability to give permission for something to happen. We have all experienced people pressuring us or imposing their agendas on us, taking advantage of us in some way, even deliberately harming us against our wills. These are all experiences that assault our dignity and threaten to diminish us. So to offer someone the dignity of consent is to take the time to ensure that we have their permission for what we want to happen. This applies in romantic relationships, but also with our kids, with employees, really anyone that we encounter in our lives. Honoring the dignity of consent means that we will have to lay down some of our agendas and sacrifice some of our desires, especially, especially when we think we know best or when we have the power to make something happen regardless of the other person's wishes. Offering the dignity of consent has a lot to do with how we use our power and privilege. Will we be like Leona Helmsley and lord, and lord our power over others? Or we, will we be like Jesus who emptied himself of his power all the way to the cross? Like most of you, I believe in a God who is all-powerful and sovereign, a God who can actually do whatever God wants. Uh, but I believe that one of the things God wants is to give us the dignity of consent. 
not to coerce us, but to honor our wills and to be patient enough to wait for us to desire and consent to his love. And I wonder for myself and for, for maybe you, if, if some of us have kept, have at times kept God at arm's length a little bit because we're not sure he can be fully trusted. Not sure he can be fully trusted to respect our freedom and our dignity, trusted to honor our boundaries and our desires. We worry that God might take advantage of us and do more than we have consented to. I know that this has held me back from going to places of more intimacy with God. So let me conclude with this, friends. Pay attention to the God who's revealed in Jesus. Trust the words of the Psalms and scripture that make it clear that God is no threat to our freedom and dignity. Have faith that God is in fact the only source and deliverer of true freedom and true dignity. We have a God who can be trusted, an attentive God who sees us and knows us and waits patiently for our consent. Let me uh, pray for us as we transition. Thanks. God, we want to know you as you really are. And whether, whether I have it right or wrong, uh, God, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to us and that we would uh, be open to receiving your grace and your power in our lives and that you would, you would unlock and open us up from the inside, that we would trust you with who we are, with our whole selves, uh, the parts that we are ashamed of and the parts that we love. God, we trust you in our relationships and ask that you would speak and work and move and bring transformation to us and through us to our neighbors, to our families, and that, Lord, uh, we would see your kingdom coming in this world so full of indignities and of pain and of struggle. God, be with us now as we uh, share with one another, as we talk and reflect. Um, and thank you for our time here this morning. In your name, amen.